0: Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On today's show, Eric Fawcett and I will discuss Florida's continued struggles offensively, the loss to UConn, uh, whether this is fixable, Uh, if there's anything Florida's doing well, and we'll preview the Charleston Classic, which uh, I think is a real gut check moment for not just this Gator season, but this basketball program. So sit back, try to relax. And uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. I am with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, uh, it's been a week or so, and I'd love to say things have gotten better. They haven't.
1: No, no, these have been some tough ones. It's uh, so some tough circumstances here uh, doing the podcast after uh, after some tough losses, and then uh, you know looking at the Charleston Classic where they see uh, a St. Joseph's team that just uh, you know really beat uh, beat UConn bad. I mean, uh, the score doesn't actually look like that bad. It was like nine points, but for most of the game, St. Joseph's was up by. Uh, it was up by like, you know, near 20 high, high teens. So uh, that's a team that really, I would say dominated UConn. I watched the game twice actually, because I watched it before Florida played, uh, played uh, UConn. And I'm like, oh man, I better watch the St. Joseph's game again. And uh, uh, they can really, really score. And, uh, you know, they really were able to score with ease against UConn. And that's something that Florida was obviously unable to do. So uh, it, it's a bit of a challenging game here. And I think you look at, uh, Look at some of the other games that are uh, upcoming here at the, uh, you know, whatever their second game is, whether they win or lose, and whether Missouri State wins or uh, loses to Miami. And, you know, as I've said on this podcast, uh, Missouri State will be beating Miami. Uh, but, I mean, there's tough games there. And, I mean, Towson on the other end uh, of the other side of the bracket. And and even Buffalo, who I thought would be really down after losing their coach. I mean, they just hammered uh, Harvard. So, there's good teams in this event. There's not, like, the, like, elite talent where you're, like uh, – it, there's like this field doesn't have a ton of like top end talent, but I think you uh, you look at it and it is uh, a, a lot of really good teams that could uh, knock off the Gators at any single round. So if I mean if Florida takes an early loss uh, to St. Joseph's, I mean like it's not out of the equation that they could lose to whoever they play in their next game. And uh, you know even in their last game, I mean you match up with anyone on the other side of the bracket, it, it can be tough. So um, yeah, long way of saying uh, things have been. Uh, rough the last week, and I mean, they, there's a, there's potential it could really go south if they don't have a good performance this week.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the view I have. Is that, you know, Florida, uh, and we're gonna break down the Charleston Classic extensively towards the end of the podcast. But I mean, this is it's an interesting opportunity ahead of them, just because, you know, there's definitely the chance for quality wins in this field, um, wins that the committee will like. There's also, like like Eric just alluded to, kind of the chance for unmitigated disaster. Um, where, you know, if you lose one, you could lose the second one. And by the second and third game, even really with the opener against St. Joseph's, you're talking about games you don't really want to L's on your resume. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's – I think it's gut check time for Florida. And part of the reason with that is that they uh, went up to Gampel Pavilion and really – I guess we could be really harsh about the whole game, but uh, like the Florida state game, I was kind of of the mind, especially on rewatch that this game was lost in the first half.
1: Yeah. I, I actually thought things were definitely more encouraging uh, offensively. I, I actually thought that the Gators got a lot of good looks in this one. Uh, they missed a lot of open shots, uh, something <laughs> we can talk about in a bit, but I actually, I actually thought Florida's offense was, uh, was, was flowing a little bit better. Uh, actually a good deal better to be, to be honest. And uh Yeah, they obviously even, despite uh, some really tough foul calls to Kerry Blackshear, I would refer to them as brutal foul calls. Uh, I thought (laughs) they were terrible on first watch, second watch, third watch, and and beyond. And Uh uh, despite that, despite the shots not falling, uh, despite Trey Mann getting, uh, Trey Mann just had a really rough game. Whether it was, you know, a couple turnovers that got him pulled uh, at different occasions. And then obviously the concussion and I, you know, I'm still waiting to hear if he'll be able to, uh, what shape he'll be in. But, uh, yeah, you know, without him, who's a guy that I think needs to be there at the end of games to, uh, uh, to create shots. I mean, Florida still had chances to win, but uh, I still think you're probably, uh, probably right in alluding to the, uh, the first half losing on this one.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, the Gators scored 20 points in the first half, um, barely average (laughs) 0.7 points per possession. Uh, it's not what you want. Um, and, you know, somehow only behind by five at the break. But I did think that that the second half offensive flow was a lot better. Um, I thought Florida definitely got into a rhythm. Um, and I thought there were things that Florida left on the floor, lots of points that Florida left on the floor where, where it could have been a lot better. And I kind of want to get into – we're going to get into this kind of where Florida goes offensively. Uh, discussion, But I did want to talk about the end of game sequence, I think, a little bit, because there are people that were very mad that um, Florida didn't call a timeout to set up the last shot, to which I would argue, yes, they did. They just called it earlier when Connecticut was at the free throw line. Um, and then there were people that were not particularly uh, you know, pleased about what happened with Keontae Johnson passing up what appeared to be an open three to tie the game. So kind of want to get Eric's thoughts first on, you know, did you have an issue with just playing? Uh, what did you think of the look Nimhard got? And then let's break down that last session as well. Okay, lots there. Um, I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I,
1: first of all, first of all, when you're talking about how, uh, how White did kind of call it, like, like Mike White probably called the set, um, though it wasn't like, you know, immediately before they had the basketball, it was, it was probably discussed. Um, I I will say though I mean earlier in the game Florida started to get some momentum offensively They cut the lead and Mike White did What he has done a decent amount in his career And he is uh, the Gators made A bucket and then they called a timeout to set Their defense Um, that's something You I would say exclusively See in college basketball Uh, You know I'm someone who loves the NBA watches a ton I watch a ton of FIBA ball A ton of your uh, A ton of the European leagues Uh, you do not see Anyone ever call a timeout uh, to set your defense other than college basketball, where coaches right. do it all the time. So because Mike ha- Mike White has done that in the past, he loves to call defense or call timeouts to set his defense. Um, I, it makes me, you know, like like I, I think that he did what you did, but at the same time, I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure what happens. Um, I, I will say though, as a general rule, and and my, I say, like Mike White does this, and so do so many coaches in college basketball. I just personally do not think I'm a, I'm not a big fan of the use of a timeout to set your defense. Like Florida had momentum. And I think Mike White was like, no. Hey, if we can get a stop, uh, you know, like our momentum will continue. And I just think like, that's a time you got to let it flow. So at the end of the game, you know what? I, I, I don't mind that they let even, like, even if calling, not calling a timeout for, I'm very okay with that, to be honest. Um, I, I wrote about this, um, uh, about a month and a half ago. Um, I, I, I looked at all Florida's timeouts last year, and I tracked what happened before and after the timeout to essentially see what were effective timeouts and what were ineffective timeouts. And uh, I came to a conclusion that was actually like quite surprising to me, and that was that um, saving your timeouts for the end of the game, are, are they actually have a fairly negligible effect. And uh, you should honestly call to like at least in Florida's case, they should be calling a lot more timeouts earlier in the game. So I, a lot of the like data I've looked at it just points to like calling timeouts at the end of the game. It's really negligible about your offense whether or not it, it works if you call a timeout before. So uh, I'm gonna be okay with that. Um, the other question: did I love the Andrew Nem look? Me, uh,
0: oh, sorry, jump in. Yeah, no. Let me let me interject on because I I think I presented like three things at once without realizing what I had done. No. <laughs> um, so. I think the logic of calling the timeout while Connecticut's at the free-throw line is they have one free-throw to shoot, so you draw something up off a miss and you draw something up off a make. And so I assume that's what they did without knowing for sure. Um, Although I will say that, again, ESPN did a nice job and, like, there were two clipboards there, which presumptively one clipboard might have been miss, one might have been make. Um, The, you know... I think the more the more fair critique of the timeout usage was that they left the timeout in stores, like Eric said. Like, <laughs> I was kind of irritated that like <laughs> you shouldn't lose by three and leave a timeout in Connecticut. Um, so that that kind of bothered me because I felt like there were times in that game where Florida could have used uh, a timeout, and and they certainly didn't. But let's let's get into the NIMHARD look now. Yeah uh so, sorry i know you just asked me again I, I
1: am i am gonna go give the data so uh, um, for, from the timeouts, so i looked at it. so uh last year uh when florida was like it was on a negative run and they called a timeout and this was anywhere in the game except for the final two minutes uh they had a 60 percent success rate of to- of taking the other team's run they called a timeout and then they went on a run uh and then uh there was 27 percent of the time um, they, there was either no run in the minutes that followed uh, a Florida timeout or, uh, or less of a run. So Florida had like somewhat of a successful timeout, but not a super successful timeout. So that is a 60% major success rate. There's a 27% um, you have some success. So overall, 87% of Florida's timeouts that were like in the first 38 minutes of the game uh, were super, super effective. Uh, but at the end of the game, uh, the effect was negligible. And uh, I also think that, uh, uh, so, so I really think that Florida should be using their timeouts earlier. And uh, you even saw it in, in a couple games that Florida's played this year and lost against Florida State and then, and then UConn. Uh, when Florida was behind, uh, they would get one or two buckets and like you know Hurley called a timeout. He just wasn't going to see any of that. And I think that Florida just had so many dry spells early in the first half where they really should have used a timeout. But White has just shown he never used more than one timeout in the first half last year. He never did it. So he's clearly not going to do that. But I, I, I really think he should consider doing it. I think the data that I kind of found um, showed that uh, showed that you should really just use your timeouts earlier when the other teams like, like you just shouldn't keep them around for the end of the game because they're not right. very valuable at the end of the game. But I, the data shows they are very, very valuable. Uh, in the game and there's uh, the perfect example was the Florida State game last year where Florida had two timeouts remaining at the end of their game with Florida State um, yeah you know <laughs> hoping for hoping for a time where at the end of the game you'd have timeouts again uh, but I mean you get blown out you allow runs early you're not going to get to the chance to, uh, to have the yep. late game but yep. anyways you're asking for hard. hard shot I mean <laughs> Obviously, you know Nemhart shooting off the dribble is something that has not been good statistically, and it's something I've written about and talked about a lot. So, um, if you were to look at that look in a vacuum, and uh, you know, not, uh, not uh, you know, you don't say say what player it is. You just say like, hey, guard X gets a, a dribble jumper from from that spot on the floor. Uh, the defender was there. Like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a terrible look, but for Andrew Nemhart, that's not a great look. And given the clock situation. Um, they maybe would have had something better. But, I mean, I, I, they obviously were in tough without Blackshear and without Trey Mann, who's a bit better of a creator than, than Nemhart. So, uh, I'll, I'll give it, like, a, like a B-minus look at that yeah. scenario, which is, like, it, as soon as he went to shoot it, I wasn't like, no, what are you doing? But it was certainly not a, wow, that was a really well-executed look. That was kind of my emotion while I was watching it play out.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was, like, a C. Yeah, yeah, okay. That that really is a... You know what?
1: He gets into the lane. We don't use the letter grade. This is a... Oh, Okay. I like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he he got into the lane. Like, he wasn't... The worst part for me was fadeaway, because I didn't really think that the defender was, like, there enough for that to be necessary. Mm. And really, the other thing about the fadeaway is you really take away the ability to be fouled. So... Like both of those things about it kinda of bothered me. Um and but but I also feel like with with the possibility that defenders collapse and Nimar being such a good passer, like I really wish when he would get in there he'd be thinking pass first. Although I understand I certainly I thought Andrew played his and, and that's my kind of hot take was that Andrew was very not good in the first half and very good in the second half. I thought it was the best he's played this season in the second half. So um, you know, it was, it was clear, especially once Blackshear found out that, that Nimhard was the guy that, that Florida was going to ride and try to win the game with. Yeah, I, I thought he did have a really good second half.
1: I mean, he found some buckets out of kind of like nowhere, Uh, you know, hit a couple shots on his own, uh, ran into that one dribble jumper, which was great. That was a big three. And uh, yeah, even that, you know, that bucket he made for Jason Jatobo at the end was was really great. But yeah, I think yeah, I, I just was watching it a couple times on repeat while you were talking as well. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think that he even had the chance to to keep his dribble alive a little more and start like he, the Florida had actually success with Nemhart posting up and backing down some of the smaller guards. And in that scenario with that clock, I almost wish that he uh, uh, Florida either ran something for him to get the ball on the block or when he started coming towards the hoop, he just turned his hips, protected the ball and started to back things down where, like you said, he could use his passing ability um, or he just has a size advantage. Cause even um, we've seen that like turnaround jump shot in the post be more effective for him than uh, uh, yeah. than a dribble jump shot. Um, and right. uh, yeah, but it was just, um, you know, I don't know if you want it to go in this direction now or, or ever on the podcast, <laughs> but, but shot selection um, for the team has, has not been, not been good in my, I was going to say not, but not great. I'm going to say it hasn't been good this year. Um, and uh, though I know at the end of the games, uh, things change a little bit in, in what shots you can kind of get. Uh, but I just think that, uh, uh a scenario where it's, you know, let's get Andrew Nemhart downhill where he can either, uh, hit a dribble jump shot or, uh, or try to finish at the rim is, is maybe not the best look and, uh, getting him that ball kind of more stationary inside early on in the clock where he was maybe backing down at the smaller Altery Gilbert or, or Christian vital or, or something. I, I, I don't know. I, I think that there maybe could have been a more ideal look, um, but, yeah, I just thought it was another thing where uh, the Gators didn't really get a quality shot um, and instead
0: settled for a less quality one. The shot selection wasn't great. Yeah, no, I would agree with all that. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, Florida shot selection so far, not good. And, in fact, it's not, just, it's not just the shots they're taking. It's the shots they aren't taking that's part of shot selection. And I think, you know, that Florida's had some issues this year with guys you know, who, who are passing up shots off the catch. And I'm not just talking about the Keontae Johnson moment um, and then not shooting. And it's, you know, it's kind of astonishing. I don't know if it's, if it's, I think some of it, especially with Noah Locke, Eric, I think is confidence related, but you know, or there's hesitation in shots, which is uh, you know, I mean, how many times do you watch? I watch a lot of the NBA and even in the NBA, like, where all they do is play basketball, you know, guys that hesitate or reset their feet, like those shots, you know, they just don't seem to go in. I don't have any numbers on it, but <laughs> they really yeah. don't seem to, it doesn't seem to be as effective. There was one shot that Noah Locke had against Yukon where he caught the ball at the top of the key. And that dude, I mean, he is dynamite from out there uh, from that spot. Like, that is where he makes his money if he makes his money and he didn't want to shoot the ball eric yeah i mean his, his it was confidence a is shot,
1: shot. It, which is it's a shame to watch but i mean like here's why i think that shot selection is so important and i just like i i don't want to like call out the coaching staff here I, I don't know how they talk about this um i would say if you're like the numbers that I kind of pour over that people who listen to this podcast or read. know, like, I just am not sure those numbers are, are known or, or, or made available to the players because they just simply would not be hunting the shots that they did that they do. And Noah locks confidence looks totally shot right now. And I think a lot yeah. of people kind of notice that. And he's, and I think that his confidence shot is because the first couple games of the season, he's out there hunting really bad shots for him. So he's running around trying to get these floaters, trying to get these dribble jumpers that are not good looks for him. Um, a lot of those miss. And now suddenly we're at the point where he's missed a lot of shots and now he gets the good shots. He doesn't want to take them. So that's why I just like, like I'm very passionate about shot selection and I just like, so in this case here's a good set. So, uh, like, I think that after game one of the season, some people were kind of like, you know, Trey Mann hit a couple floaters and it was like, hey, right. like, you know, some people were like having some fun with me, which is like totally fair about my take on floaters. Um, Florida has not hit a floater since. They are currently 11.8% on floaters. Uh, once again, that was 11.8% <laughs> on floaters. Yet you still see. Um, Noah Locke and Keontae Johnson out there looking for those. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and Andrew Nemhart as well. He met, he actually took what I would call a really good floater against UConn, where he was driving straight on the hoop and he jumped up, put it on the front of the rim where it normally falls, and barely fell out. Um, that's kind of the one floater I'll I'll work with. But uh, right. but yeah, no like I don't – and I'm not trying to pile on Noah Locke. I just think it's a really good example of – you look at the first two games of the season, he's out there hunting deep floaters. He's, he's out there hunting long fadeaway twos. Um, he also missed a bunch of – this is another interesting stat that I pulled. If anyone remembers maybe the hardcore Gator Country readers – When I was doing a a piece about all Florida's uh, baseline out of bounds plays, and I showed that Noah Locke didn't hit a single catch and shoot shot off (laughs) Florida's baseline out of bounds plays, which is just like a wild stat. Like I don't, I don't, and that was last year when like Noah Locke was shooting well and Florida's baseline out of bounds plays were god level. Um, But still, against UConn, uh, Noah Locke, they had a bunch of plays ran for him on the one corner of the floor that he doesn't shoot well from, and he airballed it. Like there's, there's just things like that that. I know some people are going to say like, man, Eric, you're such a geek and a nerd and players aren't robots. And I'd certainly get that. Uh, But Hey, like Noah lock hunts a bunch of shots that are tough shots, bad shots for him. He misses them. And now he's missing the shots that are good for him. And I just like, I I think that they're, I I think that those are related personally.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I, again, I think that, like I said, I agree with Eric and, and um, I know it's boring when we agree all the time, but, but (laughs) shots, shots you don't take are just as important as shots you do. And, and the way you take your shots and, you know, Florida had a couple of those where they just, you're wide open, you reset, you're a little less open. Now you've thought about the look and, you know, that kind of stuff is, is harmful. And when you're shooting 24% from beyond the arc, which Florida is on the season, uh, which, you know, is, is staggeringly bad. Um, it starts to infect everything else you do on offense, doesn't it, Eric? Because because, so if you play the type of offense that Florida plays and you rely on ball movement, you rely on space and to create looks for guys on the perimeter. um, And you hope that by making those shots, defenses will extend and you can really, really then isolate consistently your, your all American big. Right. And what we saw against Florida state was, as soon as it was very evident Florida wasn't making shots, they collapsed into the lane. And so it was very hard for Blackshear to, uh, to, you know, somebody somebody dm me, Eric, and said, oh, our entry passes are so bad. And I said, it's because there's not real good angles. It's, I think, it, you know, we had one to from Keontae Johnson, who's a great passer. And it was really about an impossible angle that he had to maneuver as opposed to just a bad pass. At least that's my view. And we might end up disagreeing here, but I think some of that is, is because Florida doesn't make outside shots. You don't stress defenses enough. You can collapse on Blackshear. Now Blackshear has been really good. He's averaged almost a double, double a game, but you know, at Virginia tech, he wasn't a guy that, that won games by himself that much. He, he needs a little bit of help. And Florida hasn't been able to do that yet. And the other thing it impacts is Florida's defense because you have to make shots to get into your 2 2 1. Now, I love, and, and we are going to talk about the one thing I think Florida's doing really well later in the show. Um, I like some of the things Florida's doing defensively, but it's unfortunate that they can't play that press because they're not making enough shots.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, especially against a team like UConn that uh, has so many fast guards. Uh, pretty tough to to keep those guys in you know out of transition, especially All if the you, time. Uh, right. You don't make shots. Um, and yeah, and and something that I do think is crazy. I tweeted this out last night. I came across this number. I thought it was fascinating. So uh, so last season, uh, is in regards to the catch and shoot jump shots uh, that were either open or unguarded. So last year, forty one point three percent of Florida's shots, catch and shoot shots were unguarded. And on those, they shot 36.8% or a 53.3% effective field goal percentage. Uh, that was 1.067 points per possession. And uh, this year, they are getting 56.9% of their shots unguarded. And uh, they're hitting those shots at a 27% clip or 0.784 points per possession. So it, it, to think about, like, they are literally getting like 15% more open jump shots than they are last year. Uh, And they are missing them at a crazy clip. So I know that, like, some people are just still, like, uh, some people are going to blame White no matter what. And I'm not saying that he's without blame in all of this. But Florida is getting open jump shots. If you get, like, Florida getting 57% of their jump shots unguarded is an incredible number. and. It is. Like, I just, I, and I know some people are saying, like, oh, well, their P teams are just leaving Florida open because they don't, shoot. like, no team is going to leave you open for 57% of your jump shots, no matter how right. bad of a shooting team you are. So, yeah, Florida, I agree so, with that. you know, I, I, I went and looked at all the, um, the expected shot value against Florida State. Um, in that game, I did not, I came to the, so one thing that was interesting, I looked at the expected shot value for Florida against Florida State, and the numbers showed that if Florida even had an average shooting game, they would have lost. So it wasn't in that person, like that particular scenario, it wasn't like, Hey, Florida is just missing good jump shots. Uh, That was a scenario where they were not generating good jump shots. Um, An average shooting performance. They still would have lost that game. Um, You look at the rest of the season. uh, They have gotten so many unguarded jump shots. They've gotten such great looks and they, they they haven't fallen. But uh, so that's one thing that I think you have to look at uh, is that like, Hey, these, these shots are there Florida. Like if Florida was even shooting at like a slightly below average, Uh, kind of national average shooting these shots, uh, they for sure win against UConn and they win comfortably against Towson. That obviously hasn't been the case. And I know some people are going to blame White um, even for them missing open shots. Uh, But I think like, hey, if you would have told me before the season that four games in, 57% of Florida's catch and shoot jump shots uh, were unguarded, I would have said, hey, White's doing a really good job. And I, I think that that's another, that's another reason why I was really encouraged by this UConn game offensively. Uh, there was some really, really bad turnovers, uh, really tough ones. But in terms of like when they ran their stuff and
0: got shots, they were open. They just weren't falling. And that's, that's, yep. uh, that's, what's really hard. Yeah. I mean, um, I wrote an article yesterday, Saturday down south about some of the things that are going wrong. And it was a reason that I started with not hitting three pointers. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I really do think, and, and like I mentioned, Florida state as an example of collapsing on Blackshear because that's a defense that's capable of beating Florida if Florida can't make defenses get out and guard. Right? And and that's what that's what happens if, if you're not hitting jump shots and it's what happened against Florida State and this result, you know, you have people saying, Oh well, Blackshire played atrocious, he didn't make a field goal and it, it you know, not really. I mean, he got to the line a bunch, he still played through that. But I mean, if you're playing double teams all, all game because your outside shooters aren't making any jump shots, uh, it's hard to win. Um but certainly, if Florida even shoots at an average level, like Eric said, against uh, against UConn, uh, that game probably ends a lot differently. Um, let's see. Big listener comment, you know, throughout the last couple games, including the Towson game, uh, which, you know, I think, I don't even think we need to, like, specifically address it other than to say that, like, some of the problems with Florida all season were also there in the Towson game and the Gators found a way to win. Um, Towson was a, I thought Towson played really well actually. So, I mean, you can take that for what it's worth. Uh, But I thought they played excellent. So, you know, it was interesting. Like Florida only had like six turnovers in that game. And if they had turned the ball over at the rate they had, they did against Eric, they would probably lose to Towson too. Um, but, you know, neither here nor there. People were asking about transition offense. This is one area where I do have a schematic criticism of Mike White, and I'm interested on your take. Like, I really feel like, now it was interesting to hear Mike White's comments on my critique, because I think somebody asked them after I wrote my article. And White said, well, we got guys going when they should stop and stopping when they should go. And, you know, okay, well, coach, I'm not to do that is my response. But I do think Florida off misses is playing too slow.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you see that uh, when you struggle to score in the half court, which is kind of Florida's case. uh, uh, well, okay, let's back it up even more. If you're struggling to score from behind the arc, uh, the natural natural response, that would be like, hey, you need to try to generate some shots at the rim. And if you want to say, hey, where do most shots at the rim come from in basketball? It's in transition. So Uh if you want to back it up to say, hey, Florida's not shooting three-pointers. How can we get shots at the rim? If any coach... um, Called me and asked for my uh, asked for my insight I would say oh if you want Shots at the rim you've got to play in transition Um, I actually thought that Florida did A little bit better like they didn't get the like Initial break uh, you know One pass into a layup or uh, You know hit a trail Three-point shooter but uh, Florida had Like three buckets like two of them were in a row And it was off a Kerry Blackshear drag Screen for Andrew Nemhart. and that's like Where the trailer sets a quick screen for uh, For the ball handler Uh, which is like the simplest thing you can do in transition. Like this is not super schematically (laughs) interesting, Uh, but it is something that's like, Hey, let's set the, let's set a screen on the secondary break before the defense up. And that was those like two layups that Carrie Blackshear got that were just like really nice dimes from engine empire. Those are because there was like little drag screens that like, like I I know a lot of people are going to say like, that's not transition. And I understand what you're saying. And I still would definitely love for Florida to get the like true. Hey, uh, get the ball headman it hit it to the wing layup like that would be awesome like don't get me wrong but uh yeah just to see that they were like hey they're running this little drag screen uh that's that's good that's something they're doing kind of before the defense can get set i'd love if they ran some pistol action like you see every night in the, the nba uh, i'd like if they did a little more but at least there was like some indication that they were like kind of doing some stuff uh, a, a little bit earlier in the clock um but i think uh like you said you know they're still not uh, there, Like, there was a couple times, too. I mean, there was another time, too, where uh, there was a, a point to wing pass that Scotty Lewis jumped up and stole with two hands. He just went up and grabbed it. And then he took one dribble and then uh, stopped. Ah. And, one uh, of the,
0: so that's one of the two possessions I was going to isolate to argue with I had to. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that one, that one, he's got to go the other way and just attack the rim. He's going to get fouled. He's going to get fouled or he's going to make a layup, in my view. Uh, it, and, and... You know, I trust him to do that because he's the best athlete on the floor. Um, You know, and I look, I shouldn't say he's going to, but I I feel confident, Eric, saying like nine times out of 10, that results in one of two things happening, a layup, maybe he misses the layup or trip to the free throw line. And then then the other one, which you're going to like as a coach or or you're going to, you're either going to like it as a coach or hate it as a coach was off a UConn make, actually, where it was late in the game. Florida's down four. UConn is changing defenses. Mm. and You see Dan Hurley out on the floor changing the defense. And so they're in disarray, and Florida has two for one already on one end, and Keontae Johnson is just standing next to Andrew Nymhart, both of them trying to receive the inbound pass. And so what's the result of that? It's that the ball goes into Nimhard and Florida plays slow because Keontae's not up the court to have that one catch attack three on one while Yukon's in disarray. That's a that's not even coaching as much as it's like individual recognition. But it's something you have to look at in film study and say, Hey look, there are chance we need to pick our spots and transition with our athletes because the truth is, if it's Nimhard, Blackshear and Locke on the floor, Florida has three guys on the floor who aren't elite athletes. But they still have guys that are effective transition pieces. They should be attempting more than 13% of their shots in transition.
1: Yeah, I I do think that number is pretty low. And it's something that, you know, like I've talked in the past at length that I don't think you need to play super fast to be – a good team in college basketball, I I actually think you, you don't need, but that that, like, I I think that the best teams in college basketball are able to score in transition. And then if they don't score in transition, then they run slower offenses. That's right. So 13%. Yeah. That, that number is, is too low. uh, I think, and uh, I think another thing too, is, Hey, off of, uh, you know, an opponent free throw, uh, you know, make or miss like uh, when, when the opponent's shooting a free throw and they have one person at the free throw line and two people lined up uh, to rebound, uh, if you get the ball, that's pretty much a transition opportunity because they have three players within the Correct. three-point line, which does not often happen. So uh, that's an opportunity to run. And I think that part of it too, and, and again, I'm not at practice, so I, I don't know what's being worked on. So I don't want to uh, say anything completely ignorant or naive, but uh, I, I think that when it comes to the kind of like what people think of transition often, that is the like, hey, you get a rebound or a steal, um, you start pushing and guys run their lanes and then uh, you hit the open man for a layup or, hey, nothing's there. You find the trailer for uh, I think people think about that, and it's not often, like, structured where, like, the teams that are best in transition, like Michigan State, like North Carolina, like, they run plays in transition. It's not just like, hey, let's run, let's sprint. I think a lot of people are saying that, and that's why, like, some people are like, oh, Florida just doesn't want it enough because they're not running hard enough in transition <laughs> or uh, – there's something to that. If you just run really hard in transition and you have three or four or five guys running harder than the other team, you're going to get transition buckets, but there's also like plays you can run in transition. And that can be, Hey, an initial push. Hey, if that wing that's cutting, isn't there, who just got a back screen, uh, then you're looking for that drag screen. Hey, if that drag screen's not there, uh, you do something else. Or, Hey, you, uh, the ball's pushed to one side of the floor. There's going to be a flare screen on the other side. That's looking for a three point shot. And the person who sets the flare screen is then cutting to the, like, there is like like transition offense could be treated exactly the same as as half court offense and I'm not sure I've seen Florida attempt one of these which is but again that could totally be an individual thing because you still need to, you still do need like uh, numbers and everyone running is one which I, like Neil was saying uh, it's, there's just hasn't been that individual recognition maybe that needs to be coached up maybe that's individual player thing or, or film study uh, but yeah there's just some some things that need to happen for Florida to just score but it shouldn't be simply Hey, they don't have the initial. uh, They don't initially have like a three on one. They shouldn't run. It's like hey, even when uh, even when it's like three on three or four on four, the defense is backpedaling full court, and that means that hey, you should be able to still run some stuff and get good looks.
0: Yeah, I mean, you see Gonzaga do it all the time too. It's another one you didn't mention where like they like to use that horn set where like their first player like there's always there's always like like initial ball screen right in transition and then. You can either accept the ball screen or not accept the ball screen. But like there's always the fourth player that's coming or sometimes the fifth player to get five on four who's like behind all those actions. And you know, you can you can do the throwback pass or or um you know, you, you don't the the the, for, the throwback pass guy, he can either, you know, look inside like at like high-low seal or, you know, I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff you can do, which is like totally cool. Um, And and Billy Donovan's teams used to do a lot of it with uh, some like Euro screen concepts that maybe we'll do a coach's corner on at some point in time, if it's ever topical. Um But yeah, I mean, I'm with Eric, like, especially off free throws, Uh you know, you can do it off makes when people change defenses, like I was talking about, like, there's just ways to, to kind of pick your spots with it. And I honestly think it would make Scotty Lewis and right now Trey Mann a little more comfortable.
1: Yeah. I think Scotty Lewis is one of those players that's going to thrive when things are a little scrambled in the, in the half court. I mean, he's a guy that took some shots that were uh, questionable this uh, against Yukon, some tough ones. I mean, there's one where he caught the ball um, on the wing. The guy closed out to him and he just stared him down for two seconds and then hoisted a three. Uh, that shot didn't look particularly well. I mean, he also had the wide open <laughs> corner three that he hit the corner of the backboard. So uh, that was yeah. a great sh- that was a great shot to take, obviously. Um, so so there's so there's some woes there, but um, uh, yeah, like, he's someone who I think t- obviously needs to be a little bit more of a, a full court player than a half court player. Ah, uh, Trey Mann is just so good with his uses of like hesitation and his changing of speed. So you get a guy like that running, and and he's going to be able to change speeds better than his defender can. So, uh, yeah, he's someone who I think could thrive. And also, if you uh, kind of set the the drag ball screen that he that Andrew Emhart and Kerry Blackshear kind of had going, I mean that's uh, a space where Mann could really yeah. create. So, uh, yeah, those are some guys that uh, would probably benefit from the abilities for uh, for Florida getting out and uh, and
0: running a little bit more. You know, in Florida, like Eric said, you don't have to. We I know we've said it till our faces are blue, I think, Um, but you don't have to play fast to win. Uh, Florida's last Final Four team was 318th in adjusted tempo, but I went back and looked, and and they made 21.7 percent of their shots in transition while still being 318. Eric. So yeah, that's an interesting number. It gives you an interesting idea of like how they clearly were coached to get into offense in transition. And then really depending on who it was I, with that team, I would imagine it was Casey Prather and Dorian Finney Smith. And it was like, hey, hey, you know, you guys have the green light to attack and, and please do that. But they're also comfortable running their sets for Michael Frazier and Scotty Wilbekin and Patrick young. Right. And so, uh, and then <laughs> will you get, getting all his points off, like, offensive rebounds and alley-oops. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I just – I do think that there's a schematic criticism of, of White and the staff that's fair um, on that front. Another thing I think is fair, Eric, is that I, we hate talking about this kind of stuff, and so Eric's probably going to get irritated. But they, they seem tight to me. Like, they seem afraid to make mistakes.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you see Noah Locke out there, and you see Keontae Johnson at the end of the game, even despite the fact he played pretty well. And uh, I, it is, you know, like yeah, people know like reading like reading like leadership and and stuff like that is something I'm not really gonna do. But I, I would say that like Noah Locke being hesitant to shoot open threes, um, that's that looks like his confidence isn't totally there. And Keontae Johnson at the end of the game, it looked like his uh, wasn't really confident to uh, to shoot a big three there uh and I, I mean i do wonder too like trey Mann, uh he had a couple turnovers and he got pulled right away and omar Payne uh it was the same thing and I, I do wonder if uh some guys are scared to make a mistake I, I i like white has not always done that he's never he hasn't always been like a, hey you make a bad turnover you're out of the game right uh, whereas i mean also florida really hasn't really had the depth to do that where now it's like if omar Payne throws the ball away there's some, <laughs> it's actually some centers but Uh, but Hey, he, he knows the guys better than I do. So I won't comment on whether or not that's a a bad thing to do. And I, I won't comment. I don't, I mean, I just simply, it's not because I don't want to comment. I just simply don't know if that is something that plays into why players are scared, but uh, it definitely looks like players are scared. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, four games in, it's not even just the Florida's two and two. It's that like, I don't think that they're even really stoked on their performance in their two wins. There just hasn't been a ton to, uh, aspire confidence. And uh, but it's something that uh, that definitely needs to change because I mean uh, you see these games coming up. I mean this is going to be a confident St. Joseph's team. Uh, whoever they play after that, it's going to be a confident team. And if uh, Florida's out there, like like even even like Florida's turnovers against UConn, which some of them were like terrible. Whether it was like inbounding the ball under their own hoop after UConn make, whether it was against the pressure, uh, there like there was just like some really really bad turnovers that also just looked like. Scared, like guys were just like squeezing the basketball really, really hard. And then they went to go make a pass and kind of telegraphed the pass and it got picked off. And then, uh, Yeah, there's uh, there's some issues there for sure.
0: Well, I'll tell you that. that and, you know, I, this this should help at least, you know, and I should have told Eric this before asking him the question so we can revisit it a little bit. Um, yeah, I did talk to a staff member after the Towson win who the, the comment they made was. They were real irritated with their defense after makes. And he said that he thought that was a sign of a tight team because it's almost like they're relieved when they score. And so then they and then they so then they relaxed on defense. And he said, you know, Towson shot 57 percent after Florida makes was the the number they had on a stat sheet after the game.
1: I mean, I I'm watching the games, and I'm relieved when Florida scores. So, like, I can imagine for the for these guys, and uh, yeah, that's that is an interesting point, and I mean, that's a really interesting stat. Um, that's something I yeah I haven't looked at, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be kind of interesting to see. I think the part of the thing is like if they're not like whether or not they're not confident in in the system to score. Like another thing too, like Omar Payne had some tough turnovers. Um, just yeah. like when they were running some of the the Princeton thing where he, they threw it to him in the high post and the ball who the guy who passed in the ball uh, went and ran over top of him uh, who's like there's an and there's an option to give him the dribble handoff but there's also an option not to give him the dribble handoff uh, and then you can either throw it to the wing uh, or you can try to hit that guy as a cutter uh, and there's there's some options there and I think he maybe overthought things a little bit and maybe that's probably he's not particularly confident in his his own abilities there I mean, uh, Florida was playing against pressure and, uh, and Noah Locke got the ball just over the half court line and just went to pass the ball and pumped it, pumped, 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 pumped and then went to throw it and it got tipped away right away and then the ball was going the other way like uh, maybe he wasn't particularly confident in whatever Florida was going to do now. like uh, yeah what role that plays is is pretty interesting uh, but yeah that gives me something else to watch going forward is what happens on Florida's defensive possessions after they, uh, they score a bucket against uh, St. Joseph's or anyone else
0: Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like some sort of insight into, you know, what's a tight basketball team. And and I think that's a challenge for the staff is like, you know, because they've said and and we've read articles that they're a tight group in terms of like they like each other. There's good chemistry. um, But sometimes the good chemistry off the court can still, you know, that that can I I think that can have a bigger impact when you're struggling on the court because then everybody feels it everybody feels that pressure. It's like, okay, who's the guy that's just going to be kind of the calm metronome um, that, that settles every bit down. It, I don't want to sound like the ultimate optimistic Homer, but I was a little encouraged by the second half against UConn. I really was.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I was too. I, like I said, like I, I see the quality of the shots Florida was getting and uh, they were really good. They, they, the, the shots weren't falling at a particularly high rate, though. They started pretty hot, but their defense wasn't looking good. But overall, I thought they were getting good looks. And if they get those same good looks all this weekend and they hit end up hitting them at an average kind of rate, uh, they'll be in good shape. And I thought that even they defended some shots really, really well uh, that went down for UConn. And that's what's going to happen when you play on the road, that the home team on their home rims are usually going to hit a couple tough shots that you, uh, you defend well. So uh, I will say I was encouraged. I also... I, I really think at the end of the game, like, yes, obviously, you know, obviously Kerry Blackshear having him in would have been awesome. There's obviously, uh, but I also think Trey Mann would have been huge, even in a game where he, I know he wasn't playing particularly well, but when defenses uh, really get tight at the end of the game and uh, their effort is kind of at their maximum peak, uh, I, I really, you know, I, I'm still someone who trusts Trey Mann's ability to, uh, to create space and get a decent look. So uh, to play without those two guys at the end of the game, um, and uh, hey, I mean, uh, Florida had a good look from Keontae Johnson. I know he didn't take it, but they had a chance to make this yeah. outcome very different. So it, despite a lot of things going wrong. So uh, I, I I truly was encouraged. And uh, I know some people are going to say like, yeah, this is just, you know, blind <laughs> optimism. But hey, you go back and look at the game. Look at the shots Florida got. I'm very happy with the shots Florida got. UConn hit some tough shots where Florida defended well. I'm really happy with how Florida defended. So uh, yeah, I, I was actually encouraged, which uh, you know, I wasn't encouraged after Florida State. I wasn't encouraged after Towson. I, I am encouraged after UConn, even though it's, uh, it really stung.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. that. And that's that's kind of the take I have. I thought it was the first good half they'd played since the first half of the North Florida game. Um, I do think they're defending at a high level. I think their def- defense is improving. You know, they've only had one half all year where the opponent has averaged over a point of possession, which that's pretty good. Um if you hold opponents to 59, 63, 60, and 62, Eric, you're going to win a lot. Um, and, you know, UConn under a point of possession. Florida State overall under a point of possession, obviously well over it in the second half, as, as we talked about on the last show. Um, but, but I like Scott Lewis especially. I like Scotty Lewis at the top of that little uh, 13 zone.
1: Yeah, he looks really comfortable there. I think that's good. And I think it's something we even kind of anticipated just – uh seeing the way he plays and yeah we talked. Yeah, uh, <laughs> his his length up there and his activity uh yeah it's it's pretty disruptive. I uh, Florida got caught a couple times in their um
0: their transition from the 131 to their yeah, time to their man defense. Really big 3 in it by the way and that was irritating but yes.
1: Yeah, but I still think generally um I I would still be like every time like White has played it it's always fallen back into a uh uh, you know it goes one through one to man I'd be really interested if they also kind of threw in a wrinkle where they stayed one through one the entire possession I think it would be interesting for Ooh. you know for other teams to have to prepare where Florida goes one yes. through one and you don't know if they're falling back into man or because I mean already they're playing this one through one and like teams are like only getting set up with like 14 seconds on the shot clock I mean if that's the same case and they still don't know if Florida's in one through one yeah. or uh, or man I think would be pretty interesting but uh, I also know that, you know, the corner three can be vulnerable against the one, three, one, and that's what coaches don't want to give up. So I, I get it. But uh, yeah, but th- I do think that uh, that was a little bit encouraging. Um, they also even played like a little bit more of a matchup zone uh, kind of later in the second half. Like uh, it almost started looking like a, like a three, two. And I was like, Oh, what's going on here. And then there was a couple players pass through and I was like, Hey, is, is Florida playing a three, uh, two? But then they really weren't, but just the way that they were uh making exchanges and 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 matching up off the ball it, it kind of was I, I think it was different than their normal man defense and i think that that would be uh, something else to watch but uh, i i think when you're struggling to score and you've still you know you've got good defenders like uh like scotty lewis out there you can play a lot of defenses and i think that uh yeah they could definitely
0: uh definitely do a bunch of those so on to the charleston classic um i wrote that i think it's kind of a a gut check um For Florida. I think I mentioned that at the top of the show. You know, I kind of think when you when you think about what this team wants to accomplish this year, uh, it's really important that that they go to Charleston and play really well, Um, even if they go two and one, if they play well in the process, build confidence and leave there a confident team Um, or a more, you know, because I think right now that they arrive you know, really questioning himself. So this St. Joseph's game to me, Eric, is the most important game they'll play there. Not just because you don't want to lose the St. Joseph's, who I don't think is great, but also because, like, it's one of those things where it, it's like a snowball, right? You're from Edmonton, like, <laughs> if you if you roll it around and then it get, it keeps getting junk and it gets bigger, and it, gets bigger and it gets bigger, and it's just one of those things, like you worry if things go wrong in the first half, like where's the line where the confidence is shot and all of a sudden they doubt themselves, you know? So I just think it's a huge game. Whereas, you know, if they come out and play well, like quite frankly, they are the most talented team in the field, but they should win that tournament if if they're firing on all cylinders. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I I do think that just playing well is and gaining some momentum moving forward uh, is is obviously really important, but I mean, and I, I, you know, I'm going to say this and it's, it's another thing where it's like, yeah, Florida cannot play to not to lose. Cause that's kind of been tough. But I mean, like if you lose against St. Joseph's your next game is against Missouri state or Miami who are both teams that could beat Florida, especially if Florida is at, a, at yeah. a place where they lose to St. Joseph's. So that is right. why the game is so important to me against St. Joseph's. I mean, yeah, you, you lose that game. Uh, you're facing a tougher opponent than St. Joseph's. So uh, yeah, that one is just one that they can't drop, but Uh, At the same time, I do see this tournament, and I see a lot of uh, like there's there's not any easy games, but there's you know like there's still good resume wins. I mean, you beat Missouri State or Miami by you're going to have a good that's a good neutral site win. You end up winning the tournament over Xavier or or UConn in a rematch, which would be pretty fun Uh, on a neutral site. That's pretty big, and I mean you do well at that. Then you go back and play Marshall. Uh, I mean that's uh, that's a game you you should hopefully win, and then. Uh, you've got again some like good but winnable games against Butler and Providence. I mean, your your season can really kind of get onto the right track if you can win this Charleston Classic, which is uh, still something that, um, yeah, something you'd still expect them to do, even though the uh, even though they're not they're they're pretty damaged right now. So, uh, yeah, there's a there's a re- there's is a real opportunity for Florida to kind of right the ship. But I know it won't if they win all their games at the Charleston Classic. It's not like it's you know people aren't going to forget about the loss to Florida State. They're not going to forget it to, to, about their loss to UConn. Uh, but it starts to kind of shape things up where the non-conference could still be like largely a success on the whole if they keep uh, keep winning these games that they should handle.
0: Yeah, no, uh, uh, no argument for, for me. the uh, best player is transfer um, Ryan Daly. He's a big guard kind of not not particularly athletic but big in physical guard actually kind of a decent matchup for Andrew nimhard in a lot of respects um you know not the opposite of nimhard and i'm not comparing them as players uh, Daly is really a scorer um but but a big guy you can see over defenses doesn't shoot the three uh, particularly well shoots at about 30%, but isn't afraid to take them. Um, he made six of them against UConn. So he'll launch him out there. He just, just, he doesn't make them that much. Um, right now, he's averaging what, 20 points a game. Uh, that's pretty good. And he plays 35 minutes or so. Uh, he's a sneaky, good rebounder. Some of that has to do with what they do. That's why, you know, Eric always says you can't look at like rebounds in the aggregate because <laughs> it's kind of yes. deceptive. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, hey, he's a guard that averages nine rebounds a game. Yeah, he's not, like, dominating the glass, but he does get a lot of rebounds. Um, and I think their other best players probably is 6'8 forward named Tyler Funk, watching them on film. It's a guy, like, does a little bit of everything. Really good interior passer. Uh, and, you know, he's second on their team in assist. Averages 2.8 assist. Uh, averages about a block. Um, really probably – I think the guy that that is probably their second best player. Although they've gotten some quality minutes from another forward named uh, Lorenzo Edwards as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Ryan Daly. Um, I think he's just awesome to watch because, like, he's listed at six five. I don't think he's that tall.
1: I think he's like six three, but he's okay. just like really chunky. So he like looks shorter, if that makes sense. So, so he's just this white guy who's like pretty chunky. Uh, doesn't jump well. <laughs> He just like plays an old man game, but also like puts up tons of points. But yeah, like he's averaging like twenty points, nine rebounds, and six assists a game so far. Uh, yeah, the shooting is also funny because so he was six for twelve against UConn, and was just one <laughs> of the reason that they just torched UConn. He's one for sixteen in all the other games this year. Um, nice. Historically, hasn't been a great shooter. Um, one note also, he'll be eligible to be a graduate transfer next year, so he'll be oh, one I'm watching because uh, yeah, he can definitely get buckets at the A10 level. But yeah, he's absolutely their best player. Uh, he just is very, very strong and just really good at getting into the paint. Um, I, I love watching him play because he's not quick and he's not athletic, but he just gets in the paint because he's so crafty and he's also so strong. So uh, yeah, he kind of bullies his way into the into the paint, and uh, he's a good finisher there, and he can also pass well. Uh, they've got some pretty good shooters. Uh, one thing that is, uh, you know, just makes St. Josephs pretty vulnerable, and I say this knowing that like it's going to be that much more of a disaster if Florida doesn't score. But Saint Joseph's is, is is really bad defensively. Uh, Ryan Daly is a horrendous defender. Uh, one because he just shoulders so much of the offensive load that he's like very clearly not putting an effort on the defensive side. He's also a pudgy white guy, so he doesn't have the athleticism to keep with a lot of guards. Uh, they're uh, they are pretty undersized in the front court. Uh, like Lorenzo Lorenzo Edwards is like six foot seven and like two hundred and fifty pounds, and he's got to play the five for them behind Funk when. Uh, when right. he goes off the bench, so they're pretty undersized. And then you actually look at their wings, and they've got like a good amount of like six foot five ish wings that are long. And you'd say like, hey, usually that means that they defend well. Uh, that's not the case with the Saint Joseph's wings. They're they do have these like longer wings, and uh, uh, but they're not particularly athletic. They don't move their feet well, and uh, it's just a pretty scrambled defensive team that really kind of like rushes to the rim and kind of uh, really kind of especially that because because they're undersized in the front court they love to double down and just make things pretty frantic but not a very good defensive team on the whole and uh, it's one that like you know I say that knowing that like you know people are going to hear that and if Florida doesn't score the ball well it's going to be devastating and honestly like it will be devastating because this should be it should this is not a good defensive team they do not have size to match up with with Kerry Blackshear Um, Ryan Daly is whoever you know whoever he guards uh, should be able to take him off the dribble like like if he even tries to take Noah Lock, I, I seriously think you take Noah Lock off immediately. Uh, nothing wrong with Noah Lock, but you put like Trey Mann on the floor or Quez Glover even. I don't care, and say like whoever Ryan Daly is on uh, has to use a screen, has to just go straight one on one. Like you have got to punish Ryan Daly. Uh, so, so yeah, I just. They're they're a vulnerable team defend <laughs> like they just do not defend well and Florida just has to take advantage. They just they just have to.
0: Yeah, another game where Florida has an athleticism edge where I don't think Florida should be as afraid to be a little play a little faster. Um, you know, surprised at at the pace of play against Towson where again I thought I thought uh you know I, Florida didn't quite have the athleticism. Like Florida's gonna have a bigger athletic advantage against St. Joe's than they had against Towson, um, and so I think the Gators should go a little quicker. I guess is what I'm, I'm getting at. So, but St. Joe's likes to play fast. They're ninth in the country in adjusted tempo, according to Kempom, uh, and then 230th in deficiency, defici- defensive efficiency. So you can tell, with when you balance those two numbers out, that um, they have to score a lot to win. <laughs> uh, and you know. So far, teams that have played Florida haven't had to score a lot to win because the Gators can't score. But um, we'll, we'll see what happens when the, when the rubber meets the road there. One more note on Ryan Daly and St. Joe's. This is kind of for, for the basketball historians out there. So Ryan Daly's grandfather is uh, Jim Boyle, who um, the late Jim Boyle, who was the head coach at St. Joe's for 10 years, went to two NCAA tournaments, two NITs. It's a program with a great tradition. And his godfather is dr jack ramsey who is a uh, basketball royalty so a little more uh a little more ryan daly love yeah that is definitely
1: like uh you know that like old like the philadelphia basketball scene isn't what it used to be but yeah. i mean, like I, I do know like it's like when when like the big five and all these like philadelphia schools like really mattered that was definitely before my time as a basketball fan but i i know <laughs> it's a thing so so while i did not know who that coach was to be honest uh, i can acknowledge it that's pretty cool that uh he obviously I didn't either, and, and but because, I knew who
0: Dr. Jack Ramsey was.
1: Oh yeah, hey, and also, uh, yeah, I mean, Ryan Daly started at Delaware and then transferred to St. Joseph, so it's kind of cool that he started in even like a low major in Delaware and found his way to his, uh, his. But uh, you know what? I'm I'm actually gonna disagree with you, Neil. I, I actually do think that Florida should try to keep this a low possession game, just based okay. simply on the fact that that uh, like I, I think if you go into you go into St. Joseph's locker room or you go to their practice court and say like, hey. What would be your ideal tempo to play at? Um, I think St. Joseph's would say, we want to play this game fast. And I think if you go to Florida right now and say, hey, what is your ideal tempo to play at against St. Joseph's? Probably not fast. So I I just think that like the more hectic this game gets, the more I think it benefits St. Joseph's. I I think they want to make this game go like, like watching how they like they wanted to play exactly how their game against UConn went and it meant they won. So I just think they like a, a really fast game. I, I do think benefits. I Like I want to make, I want things to be slow. And I want to say like, Hey, Ryan Daly, you can't just play in transition. Um, I want you to go one-on-one against our defense and, and see if you can score. And I also think Florida uh, should be able to say like, Hey, let's go a little bit slower. Let's get in the half court and see if Andrew Nembhard can abuse Ryan Daly. Or let's say, Hey, uh, we'll, t- uh, you know, Taylor Funk, who's, six foot eight and two let's see if uh, let's see if he can match up with Kerry Blackshear like let's see how that works out so uh, I, I would I, I know a lot of people like the the people's choice is definitely going to be with you Neil I think everyone wants to see Florida play fast uh, and uh, so but you know while I'd love to see Florida get those kind of like early clock transition opportunities uh, I think they should be kind of content to play this game at a bit of a slower tempo but oh. uh, I know people are not going to be very happy with that uh, with that comment for me and I think the
0: the people's choice will be with you Neil All right. You know, it's okay that we're allowed to disagree on the show. I want to I know one thing we will agree on is uh, Missouri State. And I wanted to talk about Missouri State or Miami on this podcast, assuming that, you know, we'll do a show from Charleston at some point. um, But Friday, but I don't know. uh, I don't know if I'll get Eric on to talk about it or not. So let's talk Miami and Missouri State. Missouri State is two and two don't be deceived by the record would be my take that I think Eric will agree with. Uh, they're a lot better than a two and two team. Kind of like some people might think about Florida. One of their losses I thought was, I watched the whole game and, uh, it, mostly what it was to me was an indictment of the new flop rule. <laughs> <laughs> Missouri state got called for flops three times based on the, the new NCA rule to try to get rid of flops. They treat them like delay of viol- game violations. So the first offense The first offense is a warning, and the second one, Eric, is a technical foul. And so they had two technical fouls. Um, That results in in four free throws for Xavier. And Xavier won by three because um, they made three of the four free throws. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, um, and also Xavier's pretty good. So, like, that's not a bad loss. Their other loss was to Arkansas Little Rock, um, a team that, to be frank, Eric, I don't know a whole lot about, uh, other than Chris Beard used to coach there, um, <laughs> and you know that was a home loss on opening night, and I think it surprised a lot of national writers.
1: Yeah, uh, that point being, a supr- they're pretty good. Yeah, I mean that you lose by one point in your opening game to a uh, you know what looks like a you know, a decent Little Rock team. And then obviously, yeah, you take Xavier down to the wire on on the road and you probably should have won. And this Missouri State team is just like full of transfers. Uh, Tons of guys eligible this year that didn't play last year. And then they've got the Juco transfer, like Gage Prim, who I love. He hasn't really gotten in the game for them yet. Um, But they are, I I do think for them, like for a team with that many new players, I mean, Florida can sympathize. Uh, Game one is going to be a little rough. So for them to to drop that one, it it is kind of what it is. So, um, you know, I liked, you know, before the season, I liked Missouri State to win this game. Um, You know what? I actually think that that, uh, uh, Miami has looked, uh, uh, you know, solid. Like they played some mid-major teams so far to start the season. And, uh, you know, they lost to Louisville, but I think Louisville's really good. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, and of course, the wacky uh, ACC opening uh, tip-off game. But, you know, Miami's been a pretty good team. Uh, Nothing really uh, against them. Um, uh, you know, like it still seems like, uh, it still seems like Keith stone is, is a ways from, uh, from getting on the floor for them. So unfortunately won't see him, but, uh, but yeah, th- it'll be a good game. I think, but I, I do think that, uh, Missouri States kind of, uh, I, I think that they just kind of, uh, they, they win this one out because I think that they've got a few more senior guys that I, that I trust.
0: Yeah. Um, so we're gonna, we're gonna split, I'm picking Miami to win. Cause I have been impressed with them early. They've won comfortably. Uh, The three games they won. Now, I think uh, clearly the best team they played was Louisville, but there's no shame in in losing to Louisville. Um, What's impressed me with Miami is just the balance offensively. A guy that everybody's going to love unless he's killing Florida and then you're not going to like him as much is Chris Likes, um, (laughs) who uh, is kind of like a bowling ball. It's like this just little jitterbug guard that uh, does a little bit of everything, and and you're kind of like, why is that guy good? He's five foot seven on like a good day. <laughs> um, he's like Irving Walker. If like Irving Walker were more pudgy. Um, so like, and, and he takes like the ridiculous shots that Gator fans will remember or uh, Gator fans of a certain age will remember Irving Walker taking. Um, and then, you know, they've gotten really good play from a freshman. Uh, Harlan Beverly has been terrific. Uh, and they have, I don't think they have any great bigs, Eric, but they have a lot of guys that they roll out from, from, uh, Dean Gack, Anthony Walker, Rodney Miller is just a huge space eater of a body. So I think that this will be a close game, but in the end I like Miami's efficiency on offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, if the game does get close, I like the, the best kind of clutch time score is definitely Chris likes. So uh, I think that they probably like their, their advantage there. So, um, yeah, they, it, I'm actually like genuinely looking forward to it. I, I mean, I know that I was on the the Missouri State bandwagon before the season started, and, and I claimed they're going to beat Miami, and so I probably have a little bit of take lock because also I just like would love to see it happen. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I look. I, th- I mean, I, I look at all these uh, these matchups in the Charleston Classic, and they're they're all really good. Like I wouldn't be surprised by anyone winning their first matchup. Like I thought Buffalo was going to be bad. Um, but, uh, but, but they've looked really good to start the year. And I mean, obviously like Towson, I, you know, we saw it in Florida. Like uh, they, they look pretty good and they've got guards that can make plays. And uh, yeah, so I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised by any kind of like upsets here. Not sure if I'd pick any others other than I think Missouri State will beat Miami, but uh, there should be some good basketball for you to watch there, Neil.
0: Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Um, and, and uh, hopefully looking forward to, to some happy podcasts from uh, the Holy City. Uh, where I will be beginning tomorrow morning. One little recruiting wrinkle that I wanted to throw in at the end of the show, because, you know, I don't know, people seem to like to talk about this stuff, but uh, I was told that, that uh, there's been a lot of discussion after the signing period of what Florida spring board might look like. Um, And one guy that, that hadn't gotten a lot of mention in terms of, of where, uh, whether or not you know florida was going to be in on him or or interested well, that we hadn't talked about in a while um was both uh kareem Mane, who probably is going to go overseas but i don't think anybody really knows that for sure um and then another guy was hunter dickinson who's a seven foot tall center from damatha catholic and uh I'm told that he's trying to set up a, a visit to florida for january so um, if, if you were wondering if Florida was thinking about maybe adding a seven foot center to their class, looks like they at least want to get in on the game with him. Some of the other teams lurking around for Hunter services are, uh, Notre Dame, Florida state and, uh, Louisville.
1: Yeah. I see he's got a, uh, crystal ball pretty heavily to Michigan, but I think that that probably, yeah, Michigan, uh, there's a another yeah, and I, but I think that, uh, and you know, the fact that he's like crystal bald there, but like he's still kind of like keeping his options open. I mean, a lot of it could be like him saying like, "Hey, let's see what, uh, let's see what Michigan actually does. We'll see what Juwan Howard, you know, is as a college coach." And uh, hey, if things don't go super well, I think everyone would welcome another seven uh, footer. Uh, is he a, is he a, like a high four star or low five star? I mean, yeah, pretty.
0: High I, don't a, I don't know him. T- yeah,
1: okay, I don't know him at. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know totally, but I see the schools that have offered him. And, Uh, yeah and Kareem uh, he's another guy that I just you know he's someone that I saw playing at events in Canada like a year ago and I was like super pumped I thought he was so good and like no one had really offered him yet like uh, just as like a 6'5 point guard who he shot the ball really well every time I watch him play but like all all the book is that he's not a good shooter so like probably people you know people have people who have seen more of him than I have said he's not a very good shooter so I should probably go with what they say but uh, Strokes definitely doesn't look broken or anything but uh, but, yeah, he's he's kind of like – so he's from uh, – he's, he's from Quebec, a province in Canada. Their high school system is really weird. Guys graduate, like, a year earlier than they do – so guys graduate when they're, like, 17, which makes for the NCAA's rules about players being eligible or not really weird. It also makes the NBA's rules about whether a player is eligible for the draft or not really weird. Um, and it also means – so, yeah, so there's a lot of, like, weird stuff about, like, hey, is he eligible for the – for the NBA draft right now, there's some talk about maybe he goes right to the draft or there's like, hey, will he just like go right to will he go through the draft and like uh, to with the intention of like maybe he doesn't actually get drafted and he just goes to Europe and gets some assignments. There's a lot of like weird talk about it. And that's just what happens with these top recruits from the province of Quebec. And uh, yeah, but he's a player I would certainly love on Florida's campus. I mean, both of those players, Hunter Dickinson or uh, uh, or Kareem Mane, like they're they're just both uh, both very different players. One's a you know massive big man, and one of them is a, uh, a kind of an electric, athletic six foot five point guard. But uh, they're definitely ones to watch because uh, yeah, they're they're elite talents, and if you can get those guys in the spring, that's pretty uh, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, another guy that um, that has followed a few people. Uh, on Twitter recently that that kind of somebody sent me a DM you know it's one of those screenshots hey what's up with this As I guess he had followed uh <laughs> Jordan Menci Niles Lane uh followed coach Nichols um followed the Rowdies it's Cliff Omari who is a 610 uh, um power forward um who plays at Russell Catholic with Niles Lane I, I don't think that that's like anything to I don't know. Whatever you guys, you guys want to roll with it, roll with it. I think all his crystal balls are like Arizona State or Auburn. Um, And uh, but I heard that he's, you know, Florida was on like one of the logos in the final thirteen on his like Tifton edit. So like, who knows? Who knows, Eric? Um, Could be another guy that rolls into town for the Kentucky game in in the spring.
1: I I mean, I think it shows that Florida is a program that people want to play for. Like, you know, maybe (laughs) he's like. Uh, just in the sense that, like, hey, not that he's maybe it's not super serious with him in Florida yet, but he's trying to make them a little bit serious. I don't know. Like, I would say it's a sign of respect that these players are following a bunch of things on Twitter and trying to, you know, just k- k- keep those lines of communication open. I mean, it can't hurt. So, uh, yeah, but I, I think, like you said, I would be probably 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 would not expect that to happen. But, uh, hey, you never know, especially nowadays in college basketball recruiting. So uh, it's something to watch.
0: That's it. And you know, I again, Russell Catholic is such a uh powerhouse that if you try to take two guys from there, I don't think anybody would <laughs> would would be too yeah. skeptical of that. Um so anyway, that's that's our show, hopefully a happier one. Um after uh a win tomorrow and and a big matchup uh Friday where you can get a resume win. Yeah, there'd be a big chance for
1: one. I I I know, I mean all these games on neutral sites would be uh would be good resume opportunities. So yeah, I, I really think, Hey, if Florida wins this event, uh, their season isn't like totally saved to the point of like, Hey, well, I shouldn't say saved. It's not like it's in, in distress now, but um, yeah, I, I think that they could be on the path to uh, what's still a really successful non-conference season, uh, slate, uh, even with the, uh, the losses that they've already taken.
0: I agree with that. If anybody's in Charleston, you know, make sure you hit me up, drop into my DMS. They're open. Uh-huh. Slide in there. Say hi. All right, guys. See ya.